Now, good morning, <laughs> and Happy New Year to you. Wonderful to see you today, and I'm just looking forward to sharing with you some truths from God's Word. Uh, earlier this week, about midweek, I sent out a Facebook uh, note that said that mystery message, and I suggested that I would be teaching on a subject, one of the most important subjects in the Bible uh, that you'll ever hear. And so a whole bunch of you have been wondering, what is he going to speak about? And they're guessing and so forth. And there's lots of wonderful topics. Let's admit it. Discipleship, forgiveness, the love of God, the love of God for us, our love for each other, the whole concept of worship. Of course, salvation is a wonderful topic for us as well. But this morning, uh, and I think it's appropriate at the first of the year, I'm going to be sharing with you about the subject of stewardship. We're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs. So I've entitled the message, Proverbial Stewardship. Stewardship out of the Proverbs. And of course, stewardship takes in a lot of things. It takes in our mind. We have to be good stewards of our mind, of our body, uh, of our uh, time, our talents. But uh, today, we're going to be focusing on being stewards of the money that God has entrusted to us. And a lot of people don't like to hear about that. A lot of preachers are afraid to preach about it, but it's a terribly important subject. And uh, so I'm going to encourage you this morning in a couple of ways to take the long view. You may not be able to appropriate all of the principles I'm going to share with you immediately. You may have to work up to it but you desperately need to work up to all of these principles that I'm going to be sharing with you. And secondly, um, if you don't like what I say this morning, you're really not arguing with me. <laughs> you're arguing with the wisest and wealthiest man who's ever lived, <laughs> Solomon. And so um, last night I said that uh, there were, nobody was sleeping because they were so mad at me they couldn't fall asleep. But uh, so I'm just urging you to tune in. And also I want to share with you that I'm just an old man who has actually lived all of these principles all my life. That's the truth. And so I share them with you uh, at, out of abundance of experience. Well, down to what we're really talking about uh, today. Uh, if in the last three months, the, the economy of the United States has been on a roller coaster. Everybody would admit that, especially as related to the stock market. Now, in every other way, our economy is doing really quite well. And if we miss this reality, we, we don't see both sides. And for example, uh, unemployment has been below 4% for about the last four quarters. I, I've uh, rarely seen that in my lifetime because always before unemployment was considered anything slightly above or at 4%, 5% even was considered full employment. Here we are, the latest was 3.9%, but the labor participation rate was increased. We've had actual wage increases, maybe not you, but across the nation, we've experienced that. 2017, wages increased 3% over 2016. Same thing, 2018, 3% over 2017. And literally, uh, when measured against inflation, we've enjoyed a 2% increase across the nation over inflation. The dollar is strong all over the world. And so we've got these two different things. If you're looking at the stock market, of course, uh, that's a different story. If you've invested in 401k plans or IRA plans, and incidentally, a great 
a majority of people are in fact invested in those kinds of instruments or it's just your own personal investment, you have seen the stock market take a hit almost in bare territory, 15 to 20% loss. And this can be really scary. It really can, unless, unless. You see, a person who understands God's economy and the way God works with us in our lives, in our economy, and he's managing God's assets, God's resources, and that he's entrusted to us, we manage it, uh, those people and the ups and downs of the market, we should, it should never phase us. Shouldn't even phase us. For one thing, what goes down almost always comes up. For the history of America, that's been true. So that's just one obvious reason. But for a Christian, it takes on a whole different perspective. You see, you don't own what you think you own. It's not yours. It's God's. And that's an important principle to understand. And when a Christian understands that, he just isn't worried about what's happening around him. Now, there are two emotions that govern too many people's actions when it comes to money. And most financial advisors will tell you about this, fear and greed. Fear and greed. And those two emotions should never enter the heart and the mind of a Christian should never be a part of our mindset whatsoever. So I'm going to start then with um, our central truth for the morning. And uh, here it is. Hold no thing dear and do not fear. Jesus made the first half really clear in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So, we don't clutch money to ourselves or resources to ourselves in greed, just wanting more and more. And we don't fear when it looks as though it's going away. Hold no thing, nothing, dear. And never fear, do not fear. Um, you see, if God wants to allocate what he's entrusted to you to someone else or somewhere else, it's his business. He's in charge of the resources, your resources that you manage. And so we don't fear and we don't hold anything dear. Of course, this assumes that we're following the principles of God's management. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. We find the first principle uh, is the principle of first fruits. Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And the word first fruits, and I, I find it interesting that as you look through the Proverbs, this is the first thing that uh, Solomon says about money. Talks about the first fruits. Now, there's nothing said in this verse about tithing, is there? But Solomon didn't have to talk about tithing. It was already understood. That's what first fruits was. 
first fruits is the best. And you were re required by the Mosaic law to give 10% of your best, the first, not the leftovers, certainly not you know, the weakest part of your grain or your animals, but the very best was to be offered to God and it should be a 10% uh, gift. And I could use my whole time this morning, literally, if I had a roving mic and I were to take that mic and go to different people who have expressed to us in one way or another that they have followed this idea of first fruits and a tenth of their income and more. By the way, if God has entrusted you with a, with a lot, never, never, never stop at 10%. That, that's a, that would be an awful thing to do in my judgment. So in any case, if I were to hand that mic to different people, they would tell you stories of how over time they've continued to give to the Lord, give to the Lord, give to the Lord, and how he's blessed them so that their barns were filled to overflowing. And it's a wonderful thing to practice that and to enjoy watching God do that in our lives. But what happens if we're disobedient to this principle? If you give God the leftovers, what might happen? Well, then I would suggest to you it's possible that your barns may be empty and your vats down to a trickle. I mean, if you're not going to obey God's principles, what do you expect? You can't just ignore what he says and expect that you're going to have a bounty all of the time. I would suggest to you that not all financial troubles happen because people don't follow the principles. Uh, because some people who do still have hard times. There, there's sickness, there's injury, there's operations, there are um, people who get laid off, and so there's sometimes some temporary lulls in our incomes. But um, if you've mismanaged God's uh, resources, then that's on you, okay? So let's look at some of the other really important principles um, perhaps if you are having struggles in the area of finances and one of these other reasons isn't the cause, maybe God's trying to get your attention. And maybe that's what's going to happen this morning. Look at what God says in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. You're going to see Solomon talk about hard work throughout this morning. Hard work, he emphasizes. A wise youth harvests in the summer. I love that, a wise youth. But one who sleeps during harvest is a disgrace. A disgrace. Now, that's a self-evident truth, is it not? <laughs> I don't think so. Not in our culture today, not in America today, where we have an increasingly entitlement kind of mentality in our society. That's not healthy for anybody, but that's the way we're going. In terms of even our political uh, realm, we've got those who are talking about just enormous kinds of entitlements. Now, I happen to believe that most people want to work. And I believe that those who work uh, often are, work hard. One of the, the most important principles in human resources is make yourself indispensable and make sure your boss knows it. <laughs> I think that's terribly important, to work hard so that they notice. In the last uh, month, I've had two individuals share with me some interesting information, because let me tell you, it's hard out there. I see my master's men uh, workers, and uh, master's men, by the way, meets on Saturday mornings. Any man can come. We encourage 10-year-old boys and up to come as well. And we have wonderful Bible studies 
and um, all you can eat and, it, and scintillating discussion. It's just fantastic. Well, anyway, end of, end of commercial. <clears throat> Uh, these guys work hard. I've worked alongside of them on mission trips, and I've seen them work fast and hard and with excellence. And I know, and they've told me that they have to just push it, push it, push it all of the time. And many of you have experienced that in the white collar world as well. My brother works for a prestigious company in Southern California. And he's 65 years old. He told me, Dave, he said, uh, they're just pushing me all the time. I'm having to work long hours, long hours, and, and I don't want to do this anymore when I'm 65 years old. Well, in any case, I, I have these two friends. One uh, lives very close to me, and he shared with me, he said, you know, I, uh, I figured out that he was trying to sell his house, and I wonder why, you know, great neighbors. And so I said to him, why are you moving? He said, well, I quit my job. You quit your job? He says, yeah. He said, I went to my boss on three different occasions. I said, I can't keep this up. I can't be working all week, nights, and then all weekends, phone calls in the middle of the night. He said, I can't do this. I've got three little girls. And finally, he, said, I, he wouldn't give him any help. Finally, he went the fourth time. He says, I'm done. I quit. Gave us two weeks notice and he was done. I have another friend who's working in the white collar world, you might say, same thing. Went to his boss on a number of occasions, said, I can't keep this up. I have to have some help. Well, there's nothing I can do. I really can't help you. And sure enough, he took his resignation to his boss as well. And thank God he's found another job already. So I know it's tough out there. I realize that. But the, but the principle still is true. Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. Notice too who's referenced in these verses. The wise youth. So it's important for parents to teach their children how to work, to give them important tasks to do in the home, uh, make them responsible, uh, to, and work alongside them. Inspect their work. And um, I have another neighbor who uh, has three boys, and they're all out of the house now. One, I think, is still in college. And I love to see this family because he would, every time there was work outside to do, and there's always some kind of work to do outside, all three of those boys, when they were big enough to work, were out there working with mom and dad. And mom and dad were almost always working together with the three boys. I have no doubt in my mind that those boys learn how to work hard. And I have no doubt in my mind that in their first job, they were ready to work hard in their first job. <clears throat> so it's very important to teach our children how to work. And then I want to suggest to you, as long as they're working... Oh, and by the way, uh, I remember um, that my dad used to say to me when I would work uh, alongside of him and I would be grumbling and complaining because he, he would never give me an allowance, you know, and he would say, well, you're doing this because you love me. <laughs> and I said, right, Dad. You know, <clears throat> but uh, in any case, um, we do work together as a family for love. Now, if you want to give an allowance over and above that, that's all right. But teach your kids. You're, you're doing this as a family unit because we love each other is really what it's all about. And then teach them to tithe. Teach them to tithe. 
what you're making, if I give you an allowance of a dollar, 10 cents goes to the Lord. Just automatic. Now, my wife grew up in a Christian family. And uh, his, her mother and dad taught all three of their children to tithe. And when we got married, that was already in my uh, background as well. And we've been tithing and more, in some cases lots more, uh, all of our lives. And uh, it's been a wonderful, wonderful reality. You see, you can serve God with money, but you can't love money more than God. Well, and then that gives you the ability to give freely. Look at what Solomon says. Some people give much, but get back even more. How does that work? That's because God pours out the blessings. Others don't give what they should and end up poor. Whoever gives to others will get richer. Those who help others will themselves be helped. People curse those who keep all the grain greedy, grasping, holding on. But they bless the one who's willing to sell it. I really can't do justice to these verses in the time that I have this morning, but I've seen it in action on many occasions in my lifetime. Let me put it this way. I read many years ago in a book by Dr. George Sweeting, former president of Moody Bible Institute, and he was a Scotsman. He always told a story in reference to, you know, Scots holding on to money, you know, with tight, tight fists. But he wrote and he preached, seldom resist generous impulses. They don't come that often. You don't have to be a Scot to say that. You can be a Polish person or a German person or a Swedish, it doesn't matter. Uh, Generous impulses, we all have them. But often we say no to them. Now, sometimes it's legitimate to say no to generous impulses. If you've got someone that is in your sphere of influence and that person has broken all of the principles, maybe he's lazy, maybe he's made all kinds of bad choices over and over again, maybe he's just depending on other people instead of getting down to business himself, you're hurting that person when you give to that person generously. When you enable that person to stay in that condition, you're actually hurting him. So we have to be careful in our generous impulses. Don't only give them a fish is what we say all the time, but teach them how to fish. And that's something that we need to do with our friends and our families. Friends, this is just a different way of saying what we have up here is that you reap what you sow. You take a little bit out in the field and you just sow a few seeds. What can you expect if that's all you put down? You're not going to get a big crop. It's the same way with God's money. If you just give a little bit, not the first fruits, you just give a little bit, maybe what's left over, what can you expect? You have to obey God's guidelines. And so... When you do have a downtime, I think what you'll experience is just what the text says. Um, Nope, back up, back up. I'll read it. Uh, Those who help others will themselves be helped. If you're known as a generous person in helping others, when your hard time comes, people will come to your rescue too. And so how does all this happen? 
How do you get to the place where you can be like this? Well, the scripture says little by little. Look at what Solomon said. Are you, are you mad at me? Solomon's saying this, not me, okay? Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard, there it is. Wealth from hard work grows over time. We're taking the long view, little by little. Only simpletons believe everything they're told. The prudent carefully consider their steps. More about that in just a few minutes. Does this idea, get-rich-quick schemes, sound like the lottery to you? Sound like gambling to you? It does to me. And let me tell you, I'm going to be flat out honest with you. I hate the lottery. I think it's one of the worst schemes that the government has ever introduced and produced because it, it preys on the poorest of the poor. They lose proportionately much more than those of us with all kinds of assets. And even if they win, and the chances of winning are astronomical, even if they win, most of them not having any idea of how to manage that kind of wealth, lose it all, and their lives are destroyed. You've read the stories over and over again. It's a wicked thing in my judgment. But does this uh, sound like making a killing on a hot tip to you? <laughs> does to me. Uh, does it sound like a hot tip that's too good to be true? How many people have fallen into that kind of a trap? A friend says, I got this down. I've got a cold. I know this is going to go. And then what happens? Only simpletons believe everything they're told. The prudent carefully consider their steps. No, you save a little bit every paycheck, little by little. And then gradually you're able to invest. And talk about investing. You need to do your homework. Uh, my son right now is looking for a particular investment. And he's got something in mind. I'm pretty sure it's going to work out okay. But I said to him, I said, Jeff, make sure that you investigate this thoroughly. Take this investment to your CPA and let that CPA check everything out. I said, then also read Forbes magazine, read Inc. magazine, and make sure that this is one of those reliable kinds of investments because it's promising a big return. Get rich, quick schemes. Got to be careful. Got to be ever so careful. Know you save a little bit in every paycheck. You know, the Wesleyan revival included this idea of little by little, little at a time. Uh, Wesley, in the classes that they had, and there were thousands of classes all over England of, of Methodists, um, would teach the people to save their money a little bit at a time, and they began to do that. And then gradually they got into the place where perhaps they could start little businesses as well. And historians will tell you that out of the Wesleyan revival grew a substantial middle class over years, 20, 30, 40 years and as a result, the, the British and the English uh, nation avoided a bloody revolution such as happened in the French Revolution because there the distinction between the very rich and the very poor was just awful. So this idea of little by little, and again, we're taking the long view. You may not be able to uh, engage all of these principles right away, but I'm urging you to think about them carefully as we move along. Because someday, I hope, you'll want to give an inheritance. Look at what it says. A good man leaves an inheritance 
for his children's children. But a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous, for somebody else. They don't even get it. Every once in a while, I hear someone say, I'm not going to give a penny to my kids. I worked hard for what I've got, and they can work hard for what they get. And they give various uh, you know, reasons for that. And I never find any of those reasons uh, worthwhile because of what this verse says. It's an honor to give an inheritance to your children. You should work towards that. You should want to do that. And uh, I think it's something very, very important. And then, and uh, we have a financial advisor who used to be a part of our church and has helped many in our church. He always insists when he works on someone's will or trust or his lawyer does, uh, to, to set aside something for the Lord's work. And that's important. You don't have to set aside 10%. You've already given 10% on that money. I have in my trust, I have money that's going to come to the church that I'm attending when I die. And it's not a huge amount, but it says to my children that even in my death, I'm giving to the Lord. I think that's vitally important. And this leads us to the subject of planning. That's not going to happen without planning. Good planning and hard work, there it is again, lead to prosperity. But hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Now look at the next verse, Proverbs 27. Be sure you know how your sheep are doing. In other words, watch your investments. Don't just put them in and then never look at it. And pay attention to the condition of your cattle. You want to know what's happening in the resources entrusted to you. Riches will not go on forever, nor do governments go on forever. If we will plan wisely about how to use and invest our money, we'll avoid most hasty shortcuts. You don't need them. And how do you plan? Most people need a budget to plan. Most people do. You know what bothers me? A lot of people don't even know how to budget. And it bothers me in our schools that in all the subjects that we have, we've got math subjects, we've got social science, we've got science, but we don't teach personal finance. We don't teach family finance. And sadly, many parents either don't think about it or they just assume their kids will pick up on it. Don't teach their children how to save and to invest and to, to purchase things and how you do that in the best way. So budgeting is an important way to plan. But then there are many here, maybe some, I don't know, who maybe have resources, God's blessed them with resources so that they, they don't have to budget anymore. But you still need to plan. You still need to plan. You, see, you still need to plan uh, so that you'll not waste God's resources. That's what I was suggesting a few minutes ago, wasting our, God's resources. And you need to plan to distinguish between uh, needs and wants and luxuries. Now, God is so gracious that he gives us lots of luxuries. If you doubt that, I just encourage you to take a trip to Haiti. The first trip I took to Haiti, and many of us came back the same way. I came back and I walked into my house and I said, honey, we live in luxury. And we do in America. 
And so God is so gracious, he gives us many luxuries. But he also loves us enough to give us a lot of our wants. And I believe that if we're following his plan, he always gives us our needs. And so uh, we have this promise of good prosperity. Um, And you need to plan in case there's a letdown in the economy as there was in 2008 and almost surely will come in the near future as well. Uh, A lot of guys in the trades have learned this and those who haven't, (laughs) they, they, I don't know how they manage because they know there's going to be some lean times in their working world, often in the winter when they can't work as much. They have to plan ahead and they have to You have to save up for those contingencies. Now listen to me carefully. I hope you've been listening the whole time this morning. If you plan correctly, guided by God's principles for living, you will rarely have to borrow for depreciating assets. What's a depreciating asset? Depreciating depreciating asset is anything that loses value after you purchase it. And almost everything does. And for example, an automobile, you buy a new automobile and you get it off the lot. I heard somebody was in an accident not too long ago and they, lost, they, they had their car for 60 days. And when the insurance company paid them back what the value of that car was after 60 days, they'd lost over four or $5,000. That's a depreciating asset. It used to be uh, considered that a home was an appreciation appreciating asset. Well, maybe so. Mine has, I've lived here now for 21 years. And I don't think my house is appreciated at all. It's a nice home, but it's probably flatlined. So we've got to be careful about this. Now, Dave Ramsey has made a living. He's developed a huge corporation and he's helped millions of people by talking to them about this subject of borrowing. And he suggests that we get rid of all of our debt as fast as we can, and he gives suggestions as to how to do it. And many people have gotten to the place where they no longer have a mortgage at all, and they're not paying money on time uh, for their cars. Listen, you don't need to buy a new car on credit. You just don't. First of all, you don't need a new car. And you don't need to buy a used car on credit. You can plan ahead so that that's not necessary. One of the guys in Master's Men watched me for many years because I taught these principles in Master's Men from time to time. He said, Pastor, I finally believed what you said when, I real- when you finally sold your, your 18-year-old Mazda. <laughs> Why did I keep that car so long? I kept it that long because I was putting money aside so that the next car, used car, I would be able to pay cash for. Many people practice this principle. And you can do it if you plan. I was sharing these principles with the young couples. You just heard about the young couples class. And uh, I I was the finance guy. I was teaching the finances. And then afterwards, we got an evaluation. And um, I got the evaluation back and Pastor Brent, uh, I said, well, what did they think? And so the evaluation came back. Well, you know, Pastor Dave's an old guy and that may have worked back then, but it doesn't work anymore. And that's why I don't teach that class anymore. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm not going to waste my breath if they're not going to listen. Listen, you can do this, but you got to plan. You got to save little by little. You have to invest. Put money aside. Pay yourself. Don't pay the bank. Don't pay the dealer. Pay yourself and then pay for the car. That's how I have lived all my life. All my life. Every one of these principles, I've lived all my life. Thank God that in studying his word, I came across these principles and lived that way. Of course, if disaster hits, we allow for that. It happens. You lose your job. You, 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 you're injured badly. You may have to break this rule. I understand that. You have to continue to live, but it should be the last rule that you break. I know a family in our church who a husband became very, very ill, cancer, and he eventually died of it. And we offered over and over and over again, we offered money to that particular family. They refused it every time. And you know what they did? They sold everything in their house before they'd accept a gift. Amazing. And, and they're still in our church, and they're, and they're faring well, and I doubt very much if they borrowed anything, they just refused to give in. What an amazing family they were. Now, whole seminars have been taught on this subject of borrowing and not borrowing. And uh, Terry and, and uh, Terry and, and oh, Kara, uh, Spivey, teach that class for us. You know, all right, senility. Um, and they'll be teaching that again, I believe, and I'm encouraging you to plan to come to that seminar. You know, one of my frustrations in that regard, um, we, we give these seminars, and it's interesting, that in some cases, we know those who are having some financial difficulty, you know, for, for whatever reason, we've counseled them or someone else has, and they never come to the seminars. And in some cases, they do come to the seminars, but they leave after the second or third uh, session. And the opposite happens. Those who are well, relatively well off, they come back for another seminar to pick up something that they might have missed last time. Oh no, dear friends, borrowing the rich rule over the poor. And the borrower's servant to the lender, I was talking to my niece, this is free, I didn't plan to say this. I was talking to my niece the other day and um, talking to her about the freedom of being free of a mortgage. I haven't had a mortgage for many years. And that enables me to give a great deal more than a tenth to the Lord's work. I'm free. And you can be free. And you can work at it. And you can do it. Just ask Dave Ramsey, okay? All right. Now, having said all this, we're almost done. I have to be almost done because my time is getting up. All right. We have to learn the secret of contentment. You still with me? Everybody okay? All right. Look, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they're gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. One of my favorite songs in, is Fiddler on, in Fiddler on the Roof is If I Were a Rich Man. Would it spoil some vast eternal plan if I were a rich man? I think we all have those, some, those kinds of yearnings sometimes. And yet Solomon is right. And my dad was a good example to me. 
uh, always conservative in his investments, never trying to get rich. Us four kids, as we grew older and we knew the assets my dad said, we said, dad, invest in this and you'll make a killing. You'll double your money. He says, I'm not interested in that. He says, that's too much work. He says, I, I'm just going to put it in safe investments. He's over 100 years old now, and he's still doing that. Still doing it every month. And uh, so this get rich, yearning to be rich. He said, I don't need to be rich. I'm content with what I have. Hold no thing dear and never fear no, contentment is the Lord's standard. Look at what Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're almost done. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So, if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires, you, you let it one go and it's going to build into another, that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? No, you cannot serve God and money, but you can serve God with your money if you'll follow the principles that I've shared with you this morning. And for those of us who've been blessed with worldly riches, look at what the Lord says just a few verses later. This is amazing. This is, this is what we live for. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. You didn't get it yourself. You got those riches by the grace of God. He made that possible for you. He gave you the brain. He gave you the insights. He gave you the talents. Do not be arrogant but put, to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What a promise. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that you may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see what that's saying? It's saying if you're generous, if you're rich in good deeds, and that's your highest priority, you're building a foundation on this earth in which God will prosper you in the life to come, which is truly life. We have to use God's resources. It's all His. And so you hold nothing dear, no thing, Dear, never grasping, never greedy, and never in fear. No matter what happens in your financial situation, I'm suggesting to you, trust him. Trust him. Trust him. 
And never worry. Never worry. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And the God of peace will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Trust him. Never worry. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you now and I ask you to bring the Holy Spirit into our presence to cement these biblical concepts in our hearts. Don't let anybody leave this place fighting with you about these things, but appropriate them as they are able and the sooner the better. Make it so, I pray, for our good and your glory. Amen.